Punching Holes in the Darkness is a podcast by the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. It's an opportunity for pastors and leaders in Michigan churches to have their voices heard and to share how to best reach our mission field from Detroit to the Upper Peninsula. This is Mike Durbin, and I want to welcome you to this edition of Punching Holes in the Darkness. Today we're going to discuss church revitalization. It's a subject that many of our churches are interested in learning more about. But before we jump into the conversation, I want to take just a moment to say thank you to Michigan Baptist. As you know, our our Francis Brown offering for state missions last year was taken, it was received to do the work of church revitalization. And I got to tell you, I'm just so grateful for the fact that you gave just under $80,000 to help churches that need revitalization to take their next step. You know, it's just one of the many benefits of being a part of our church family, our church network. Churches helping churches advance the kingdom of God together. Today, it's my special privilege to welcome Dr. Rob Peters with us. Uh, Pastor Rob is the founder of a ministry called Corpus that focuses on church revitalization. One of the things I love about it is that uh, they equip pastors and church leaders to lead the revitalization in their local churches. There's a wealth of tools, and we may get into discussion about that. But welcome, Pastor Rob. It's good to have you on our podcast today. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be with you. And for all the Michiganders, I hope you can uh, endure, maybe enjoy my southern accent today. So uh, have great fondness for Michigan, and it's a joy to be on the podcast with you today. Well, you know, you mentioned fondness for Michigan. I know you have a Michigan connection. Would you mind sharing a little bit uh, about that with us? Yeah, I would love to, Mike. I do. Every time I head to Michigan, whether it's to fly through the Detroit airport somewhere I'm going or or, uh, driving up to see family, I I always have just incredible fond remembrances of uh, Michigan. Number one, my wife was born in Grand Rapids and um, I don't know how I was able to steal the crown jewels of Grand Rapids and get her to marry me, but um, she's a Grand Rapids girl, and um, her father actually lives there in the uh, summer months. Uh, her mother passed away a number of years ago, and uh, Wendy, having been born there, um, he knew someone in the Grand Rapids area, and so uh, as they got married, we've enjoyed getting back to Michigan, and when I say back to Michigan, I actually uh, not only married a Michigan girl, but I spent eight summers working uh, in Big Rapids, uh, Grand Rapids, Sheboygan, a number of other uh, communities across Michigan uh, through our Baptist ministries, Baptist college ministries, uh, high school choirs, uh, working with church plants, local church pastors, and uh, just really have great memories. As a matter of fact, the first person I uh, ever led to the Lord was a little boy named Jason in Charlie Brown Park in Sheboygan, Michigan, 10 wow. years old. Uh, he trusted Christ, did a home visit with his mother. And uh, a year later, I was back up there in the summer and got to see him follow the Lord in baptism as an 11-year-old boy. And, and so I have something here in my office that he made for me, a little wooden plaque. Uh, 
just uh, my name on it. Uh, it says, Dear Roby, not even Robbie, which I was <laughs> called at the time. And every day I see that, I think of, hey, this is what it is to share the gospel. These are the real people. And the very first experience I had in sharing the gospel was in Charlie Brown Park in Sheboygan, Michigan. And there uh, the work of the gospel was done, and I got to be a part of it for the first time uh, as someone trusted in Christ. Man, that is just awesome. I love stories like that. They encourage us in this ministry. And uh, I want to thank you for your investment in the state of Michigan. Uh, we are so delighted that you are talking to us again. And uh, yeah. we're, we're going to be talking about a partnership that we're developing with Corpus. And uh, we've got five questions that we're going to uh, look at today. But could you say a word of, about Corpus before we jump into the five questions? Yeah, uh, you know, Corpus was, was kind of born um, out of not only 25 years of pastoral ministry, uh, but it was really born on a whim, to be honest with you. Um, Tom Rayner was at Lifeway. He was rolling out um, his Who Moved My Pulpit conferences and um, Art, his son, was trying to pull some of that uh, together from Southeastern Seminary. He said, hey, my dad's coming to North Carolina. The North Carolina numbers are not looking good as far as churches and salvations and baptisms and growth and attendance and Sunday school participation and all that. And my dad's got this new book coming out. He's going to enroll it in North Carolina, and we would like your church to host it. And uh, we would like you to to speak at it to the senior pastors and so um i did we did and basically what i did uh, mike was i uh packaged in a six-step process what i had done at three different churches different sizes different contexts different states and what i had done in three different churches over 30 years of ministry and said pastors this is what you've got to be ready to do if you're going to lead your church through the necessary process of assessment and discovery and convergence or repositioning and alignment and vision casting and leader development, disciple making. And I rolled that out after probably, you know, 25 years of work, but maybe three or four hours of putting that piece together. I, um, put it on a slide presentation, spent an hour in our church's worship center that day. There were about a thousand people at the conference. A hundred of those were pastors. And my uh, chief of staff said to me, you know, you really should have a little response card for pastors in case they want to learn more. And I didn't know what I was kidding myself into when I, when I, when I said, Hey, tell us if you want to know more. We, I think we had 103 guys in the room and maybe 97 of them signed up to learn more. And then all of a sudden I was sitting there going, okay, now what am I going to do? Because I've got all of this stuff in kind of non-presentation form, but the six steps had been become very clear for us that this is the, the, the biblical process. This is the pastoral skill set. And so um, month by month, as I began to meet with those pastors, uh, we, we probably did three things. We talked a lot together, listening carefully to pastors about what their hurts, their challenges, their needs were. Two, our team, and at that point I had a 280-member staff that I was working with between our church and our school, so I had a, a very large staff to work with. We retreated and said, okay, how do we serve these pastors? Because our church had had a long history of serving pastors. 
And we just very simply put together simple, clean, accessible, usable tools for the local church. Interestingly, we built it, though I was in a big church and had the resources of a big church at that point. My church experience had been small church. And I was talking to a team of people and they said, look, build this for churches that run 50 to 200, because that's who we are as Southern Baptists. And so we actually did do that, Mike. We designed it that way. And just month by month, we listened to pastors. We gave them opportunity to give us feedback. They corrected what was wrong. They told us how to improve what was right. They gave us great ideas. Many of the pastors' resources from local churches are now embedded in this. And in 2017, at the urging of our deacons, we incorporated Corpus as a nonprofit, put together a board that our chairman of deacons was the chairman of for the next three years. And by 2018, it had grown so much and so rapidly, primarily globally, um, that it had become a full-time role at that point. And I had to decide... Um, hey, am I going to give my full-time attention to the local church or my full-time attention to the kingdom of God? And I still see myself as a local church pastor. I'm here at First Baptist Church, Peachtree City, where my office is located, and we work out of the local context of a church, but we are certainly serving the kingdom. I think now uh, 17 denominations, seven different languages, five different continents, 400-plus certified coaches and consultants who utilize our resources across Siberia and Malaysia and Southeast Asia. And I've got a team tomorrow headed into Sub-Sahara Africa. I just got back from Santa Cruz, Bolivia. We've got an office in uh, the European Union zone with all of our copyright related and nonprofit related issues there. And I'll I'll end this way to your first question. I'm the guy, I'm the dog that caught the bumper and now I'm not sure what to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I love about that is all of those resources have been field tested in the local church, rooted in scripture, and now yeah. they're available to help a church in Michigan, as well as all of the other places that, that you mentioned, as you shared. We're, we're thankful for your, your ministry. So let's yeah, dive let, into let, it. Let, 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 let me mention that. You, you know, you, you zero in something that I think you know about from your exploration, but I failed to mention in answering your question. Um, I think the reason why this is so quickly being adopted by all denominations globally is because there's a dearth of information from a truly biblical perspective about leadership in the local church, especially at the pastoral level. And therefore, this overseer model that we're, you know, kind of attached to in Scripture, we're no longer borrowing business principles, but we're basing our leadership on biblical principles. And two things have happened. Pastors and churches don't resist that model. And two, they understand that model readily. And they look at it and go, I get it. They may not have understood alignment in the business world, but they understood the walls that Nehemiah was rebuilding, they had to all come together. So Nehemiah had to align a circle of people to get a wall to be rebuilt in 52 days. And the biblical expression of those principles that the church is just desperately in need of 
are, are rooted and anchored all in scriptural mandate so that pastors no longer just think of this as something I ought to do. It has become a mandate that this is something that the Bible describes for the health and the well-being of churches and Christians. And, and I think you're on to something when you say the biblical roots of all this. Yeah, it's one of the things that impressed me about Corpus as I've talked with you and also as I have read through the materials. It uses a language that we understand. You yeah. know, it's God's language uh, in the Bible and the kind of way that we actually speak in the, the, the churches that God's called us to. Well, let me ask the first question now. Can my church be revitalized? Yeah, that's, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Ninety percent of American churches are plateaued or declined. Now, just think about this. All denominations in the U.S., all churches, approximately 400,000-plus or minus churches. 90% of those plateaued or declined and therefore in need of some sort of revitalization from perpetual revitalization of what we would call, you know, plateaued, needing to take that next step, classic revitalization, somewhere down the first third of the backside of a declining curve of growth or attendance or giving or participation or service. Um, we call that classic revitalization. Um, so there's the need for revitalization or even crisis revitalization, the next third of the down curve. And then, of course, there's the replanting model, which we don't primarily specialize in, though we are learning significant things about the replanting model because of the partnership that we have with so many people. The reality is um, at least 300,000 churches in America need to be asking that question. And our answer to it would be um, – it depends, and we're going to need to look at a couple of things to be able to tell if your church can be revitalized. Uh, after we had taken a couple of thousand churches like through the refocus process, which is our primary offering of those six steps in the revitalization process, we stepped back and just analyzed our metadata to see if there were any trends. And one of the trends that we noticed was that there were very clear cultural realities present in churches to certain degrees when churches could be revitalized and that those same cultural elements were absent or being expressed negatively in the culture of churches that could not be revitalized. So we studied all that metadata globally and we stepped back and identified what today is offered as the vision receptivity assessment. And it's basically an assessment that tells you, can your church be revitalized? And it measures something that no other assessment that I'm aware of out there in the church arena is available, and that is the culture of a church. We're always talking about issues related to the cult, uh, culture of the church, but very few people either understand it or recognize what needs to be done about it. And so there are uh, nine uh, categories where we measure on a continuum uh, whether the church is, I'll just give you the categories, on mission or going through the religious motions, whether it has courage to follow God or fear about following God, whether there's trust of the leadership or distrust of the leadership, whether there's authentic communication within the church or if membership has a withheld information status, 
uh, whether there's clarity about the vision or chaos, whether there's an adaptable nature or an inflexible nature, whether there's joy or cynicism, whether there's an empowering culture or controlling culture, or whether there's honesty among the membership or a deceptiveness uh, among the, the membership. And once we measure those nine different categories, um, we have the benchmarks available to us now that kind of tell us, hey, if you're above the 65th percentile in, in these um, areas or in the majority of these areas, and if you don't have some hard anchors like in the area of trust or fear, hey, the likelihood is that your church can be revitalized and this assessment can do two things for you. It can tell you where your challenges are going to come from and how intense they're going to be. And like one pastor said to me, leading revitalization scared me to death until I knew what the challenges were and I knew and how intense those challenges were going to be. But once I had an understandable, uh, numerically clarified understanding of my culture, it empowered me to say, hey, this church can be revitalized. I don't need to be afraid of it. I need to address the areas of need as we start this revitalization process. And it was a very empowering thing for that pastor and for that leader. And, and here's the bottom line answer to your question, Mike. If there's front-end assessment and if there's backside support in the revitalization process, our experience tells us that upwards of 60% of churches can be revitalized. And that's a far cry different from the five or 10% of churches that we're being told by some of the national experts um, can be revitalized. And, and I would say to you, if, if you just do what some of those people encourage you to do, yeah, I'd say you'd get two to 5% uh, success rate as well. But when you make it a bigger approach, a more comprehensive approach, and you take all the necessary steps and you don't have gaps in those steps, the likelihood of revitalization is much higher than what it's purported as being when you look online. But before we get back, I want to talk a little bit about Send Network Michigan. You know, we have partnered together with our national organization, the uh, North American Mission Board and their SIN network. And we are as part of that SIN network here in Michigan. And there's many things that God's given us the opportunity to do in planting churches, helping strengthen churches, and just reach out beyond our four walls and get into the world that God has called us to reach. So if you want to know more about what it means to plant a church or to be part of planting a church and maybe supporting others that are planting churches, just contact us and say, hey, I want to know more about Send Network Michigan, and we'd love to tell you all about it. As you were sharing those categories, those areas, I thought, man, what an incredible tool because it, it gives you a handle on what is happening and gives you a, a starting point. You know, this, the pastor that you referred to, uh, yeah, let's go. Because now yeah. he knew the areas that he had to work on. And well, we call those handlebars. You're, you're, you're calling it exactly right. We, we say we want to get pastor's handlebars to hang on to. I mean, pastor in a church is a downhill ride, no matter how funny. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember you used to ride down that hill at uh, Mackinac Island, you know, and I, I was a college kid working up there and, 
I'd rented a bike and I had my hands up in the air and I was riding down from uh, the top of the, the, the cliffs there. And I, I look back on that now and I go, how stupid was I? And there's probably, <laughs> there's probably a lot of pastors that feel like they're not hanging on to the handlebars. They got this crazy downhill ride of this thing called the local church in a, a post COVID world in a post Christian world. And, it is a downhill ride, and we want them to have those handlebars. And the more infor- the more biblically informed data and information that they have related to fulfilling their mission, the more empowered they're going to be as a pastor. Absolutely. Well, that leads to our second question, and that is the question, can I revitalize my church? Yeah. Well, you, you've just moved from the culture of the church to the competencies of a pastor. And um, 30 years ago, when I was leading my first revitalization, we didn't even know to call it a revitalization, to be quite honest with you, um, let alone identifying the competencies of that revitalization. And of course, thankfully, our mission agencies in Southern Baptist have really been doing a much better job of the assessment and coaching and kind of created a culture where that's not only okay, that's a really positive thing. And I I will tell you, when I was in Florida pastoring there, the Florida Baptist Convention really blessed me. As a matter of fact, when I was replanting a church in Georgia, uh, Bob White, uh, the uh, state exec here, uh, empowered uh, uh, Bob Logan Coaching 101. And that was probably the first time that I was involved in coaching. But then later, Bob Bumgarner in Florida just bless my socks off as a local church pastor. I mean, he saw past all my youth and naivete and foolishness and crazy ideas about reaching people. And, and, you know, he with just the gentlest of touch navigated me um, into and through a coaching relationship that I still thank Bob for today. When I see him, he's one of the power users of our refocus resources and corpus resources. But, um, what I would say is a, a, another thing that we discovered at the end of walking 2,000 churches worldwide through this was that there were certain pastors that were demonstrating certain characteristics that demonstrated success, if you want to define it so crassly, whatever success is. We never tell a pastor what to define success as. But in their mind, if they have a sense of success, of fulfilling God's calling upon their life, that there were certain character traits that were on display there as well. And so after we mined the metadata of those global churches, we were able to step back and categorize those uh, into the classic categories, quite honestly, uh, that Paul and Peter gave us, elder, shepherd, and overseer. Uh, When Paul met with the Ephesian elders, Acts 20, he said, be a good elder, be a good shepherd, be a good overseer. A little more concisely, Peter would say it in First uh, Peter 5, verses 1 through 3, be a good elder, be a good shepherd, be a good overseer. Uh, but it's interesting that both of the leading apostles throughout the book of Acts and the early church gave that triad of a model. And what was really readily apparent was that pastors in their surveys to us said, I've been trained in Bible college or seminary, or I've emphasized in my ministry preaching and caregiving or, you know, eldership and shepherd shepherding. Um, But the universal struggle that we were seeing, and it wasn't just in the U S context. It wasn't just in the majority world context. It wasn't just in Europe. Um, The aha moment came in Europe when, 
we were riding 180 miles an hour down the Audubon and I had a real quick idea across my mind, but that's another story, Mike. Um, <laughs> in, in, anyway, you have a lot of ideas when you're going that fast down the Audubon in a little, little red Ferrari, but nonetheless, I digress. Um, what we discovered was that elder shepherd overseer model pastors may struggle in one or another of those categories. Very few pastors have all three of those skill sets to the desired level for the thriving of their local church. But pastors, one, tend to struggle with the overseer uh, role more than the elder shepherd role. We discovered that was because Bible colleges and seminaries tend to emphasize eldership, preaching, teaching, and uh, the uh, shepherding role, caregiving, pastoring, loving, encouraging, etc. Um, and, and they don't know how to teach the overseer model. Um, so that's a challenge for us, number one. Number two, that, that wherever there's a deficiency, that's where the pastor usually feels the spiritual drain out of his ministry. That's where it's exhausting. That's where it's burdensome. That's where it's overwhelming. That's where he's being asked to do things that he doesn't understand. And so our PRA, Pastoral Readiness Assessment, basically doesn't say there's any one right makeup. It just says, this is where you are related to the challenges associated with revitalization. And we look at that wise elder, that skilled overseer, and that transformational shepherd score broken down into three additional subsegments so that there are nine total categories that are what we would call the nine top-tier categories that revitalization pastors demonstrate effective leadership in when they effectively lead uh, their church through a revitalization process. Now, back to your question at large, and, and we, we can talk about this more and move on. Um, can I revitalize my church? Well, I, I would say to you that if you took the pastoral readiness assessment, you would know what's limiting you, if anything, when it comes to revitalizing your church. And then on the other side of that assessment, we train coaches to work with pastors to cultivate those, we don't call them strengths and weaknesses, we call them strengths and struggles. Because if God's called a man to ministry, he's wanting to equip a man for ministry. And so we would say, hey, if there's something you're struggling with, we want to read the great resources on it, talk about its application in your life, and put the necessary tools in your toolkit to help you lead forward, not just through the first revitalization you lead, but through a lifetime of ministry uh, that you're going to be in, 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 uh, involved in. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, not all of us can do everything equally well. And, a, 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 you know, an assessment like that helps us to see areas where we can grow. And what I love is we can come alongside guys. And if they're ready, um, you know, we're more than willing to connect them with somebody who can help them learn those skills in whatever area they need to move forward. And I, yeah, yeah, and, I love and you know, too, like you say, I mean, Jesus tells us, you know, there's there's a one-gift person, there's a two-gift person, there's a five-gift person. Well, obviously, there's a three-gift gifting for pastoral leadership. And if you're a one-gift person and, you know, your competencies in the other areas are a struggle, then, you know, gosh, your coach can help build other leaders into the church model 
that helps to make sure that the church can be healthy and thrive and you can lead with from your strengths. We never want to try to encourage somebody to lead from their weaknesses. We just want to make sure their weaknesses don't suck the life out of them personally, destroying them in ministry. And two, that they don't lead to the ineffectiveness or the unproductiveness, as Peter calls it, uh, related to the local church ministry. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, let me ask you, what does it take to revitalize a church? Um, yeah, a kidney, a liver, and uh, all that you got, <laughs> you know? I mean, <laughs> it's an all-embodied <laughs> effort. Now, I, I say that joking. It, it's like parenting. It's the it's the greatest joy of your life. I mean, parenting's one of the hardest jobs I have, but I have no greater joy, as uh, Third John says, in watching my children walk with Jesus. And it's the same in the local church. I mean, no pastor's in this for money or fame or notoriety. They're in it for uh, serving the Lord and helping people and causing churches to thrive. Uh, but it does take a lot. Uh, here's the thing. If, if pastors can know what truly is necessary for the church to thrive and not have to guess at it, they can take all the things and all the energy that's comprised at those guesses, all those different things that really don't make a difference and set them in the periphery and focus upon the main thing. And what we've been able to boil it down to, really what God boiled it down to, is uh, six steps in the Scripture. They're the six skills of the overseer. Uh, but just a quick theological plug here. Jesus is called the great overseer of our soul, First Peter 2.25. Uh, Peter and Paul, both elder shepherd overseer. I was sitting on my back porch one day going, I've never seen Jesus as the great Episcopos of my soul. What does that mean? Is there an Old Testament typology? I wasn't very good in Hebrew. I did a lot better in Greek. So I went to the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, and found Episcopos in the Old Testament and went, doggone it, if there are not six um, overseers of the Old Testament, um, four major, two minor, one started something, five revitalized something, and I started learning the skill sets of the overseer, and we found that the six skill sets of the overseer aligned with the six steps in the revitalization process. And if you remember, Jesus was the first and greatest church revitalizer, Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches of Revelation. What was the last work Jesus did on earth? It wasn't give us the great commission or send into heaven. It was to come back, revisit his churches, and share a message of revitalization with five out of seven churches. So it's about the same scenario then as it was as it is now. And the six steps are to assess, reposition, align vision, develop a discipleship plan, build a model for leadership and execute effectively. Those are the six steps in the process. And we, we have our six steps that accomplish those goals called the discovery, basically takes a seven point assessment of the church life from multiple vantage points and more than just numerically. We have the convergence, which is uh, Revelation two and three model where Jesus repositioned five of the seven churches. And we ask the questions that helps the church know whether or not they should reposition themselves. The third step is the vision pyramid, and that's where you take the, the mission, the values, the strategy, and the vision, and that's not business language. The mission is found in the Great Commission. The values are found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. The strategy is found in Jesus' expression of his disciple-making work with the apostles. Come and see, follow me, abide in me, go and tell. 
and the vision is the Revelation 7, 9 through 11. Every tongue, every tribe represented around the throne of kingdom forever, enjoying God and his presence and his blessing and his goodness. And what we say to a church is if you'll align your vision around that, you can develop your own vision pyramid. You will not only have vision clarity about where to go, you will have a theological anchoring for your soul as you go there. And that's the empowering thing that pastors need. The fourth step is unpacking that uh, disciple-making model because it's the engine that runs the church. Uh, the fifth step is the ladder because pastors are admonished to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Not hard to, to develop a plan. You just have to have a framework for that plan. And once you know where you're going and what kind of disciple you're trying to make, you've just got to build your leaders to help you get there. And we've got a little leadership ladder that fits any size church and as simple or complex as it needs to be. And then finally is the effective execution. None of that plan matters if you don't go do something with it. So we help you build a toolkit to actually get it done. So uh, what does it take to, to um, revitalize a church? Uh, heart and soul, for sure. Spirit of God, wisdom of God, truth of God. Uh, but then out of the truth of God, you find those six skill sets in people's stories like Nehemiah, um, Joseph, Josiah, um, you, you find the overseers of the Bible that really help us to have the models that we need to accomplish this great work in this moment. Man, that is great stuff. I'm going to move on to our fourth question today, and that is what challenges will church most likely face in the revitalization process? Yeah, um, the there's a generic answer and there's a specific answer to that question. And, and let me give you the generic question or the generic answer to that question. And then, uh, you know, we can fill in the blanks or um, you can ask additional questions about some of the specifics. So um, what we find in the process is that a church will go generally through a euphoria when they cast a, an initial vision for revitalization. I mean, the people around the room know what's going on because they look and see, and even if they only know it anecdotally, they've had friends leave the church or people have died and there's no one there to replace them. Committees are hard to fill or ministry teams have, you know, just a few responsible people or givings down. I mean, they're, they may see it symptomatically, not comprehensively, but when, you bring a comprehensive vision for revitalization to the church, um, there tends to be a, certainly a leader euphoria, and then anyone that has experienced the symptoms, they're, they're going to have a, a sense of, oh, I hope, I hope for the sake of our church that, that this does well. Um, but on the heels of maybe six to 12 months of euphoria, uh, the pastor is going to begin to experience what I call the educational challenges. People are going to be go moving from the stage of being aware that we have a vision for revitalization to begin to understand what that revitalization really means. And the fatiguing piece for the pastor at this point is um, they've cast the vision, they've said it, they've said it again, they've preached on it, they've talked to individual members about it, they've talked to leaders about it, they voted on it, and voted on a budget that supports it, and they had to rediscuss it during the, the, the budget vote, and 
then they had to deal with conflict with a few of the leaders going in different directions. And, and so they're constantly having what we call this educational responsibility. Um, that that's past the euphoria, but even past that, there's oftentimes what I would call the most misunderstood uh, part of the challenge. And that is dealing with what Aubrey Malfurst calls the late adopters of a vision, Mm -hmm. the people that struggle to get on board there. They don't want to be aware that we have have a vision because they're living in the historical legacy of the church or the traditions of the church that they certainly have haven't come to understand it. They probably at this point are having conflict with the people that are living it out because it feels like somebody stole my church and it's headed somewhere. I didn't, I didn't give approval for it to go that direction. And so it, it gets with the late adopters a little emotional. And Mike, this is the point of my greatest mistake in ministry is when it got emotional with those members, I thought they were having conflict with me. And that was a fallacy. It wasn't about the conflict with me that they were having. It was the conflict within themselves that, hey, I've grown older. The world's changed. The things I did are no longer the things that the kids today are doing. Or the way they're doing it today is so different than the way we did it back then. And it just feels so foreign. And so there's an emotional intensity. And what I discovered in this is that the intensity of the emotions came because members were grieving what they were losing, not losing in theology or Bible or gospel or Jesus or church mission. They were losing the programmatic structure. They were losing the language they appreciated. They were losing the sense of their youthful ambitions and uh, their deep spiritual hopes and longings uh, that were playing out, but playing out differently maybe than they imagined. And therefore, they were just going through the grief curve, uh, the Kubler-Ross five stages of grief. Uh, that, that's what we were seeing. And what I would say is, is that's where our Southern Baptist strength of transformational shepherding can really lean at that point. In other words, overseer early in the adoption process, elder teacher in the middle of the process, and caregiver and loving shepherd late in the process. And here's the thing, a pastor will win more converts to the church revitalization process than they ever imagined if they'll work their way patiently across at least three years of a revitalization plan, usually the culture will fully have shifted and cemented itself by five years in. But if a pastor can lead with passion early on, educate with resilience in the middle, and love with tenderness and compassion on the back end of the adoption, uh, I would say he's going to be really well equipped to lead his church through the challenges of revitalization. Yeah, that is so insightful. You know, when a pastor is in the middle of all of that, sometimes you can feel attacked by every direction. And you're just dealing with hurting people. And yeah. you need to love them through it. I, I love the way you express that. Well, let's ask our last question. Is there a way to prepare for the revitalization journey? Yeah, we we hope yes, and we hope it's a very simple and clear path because our nonprofit board has worked really hard 
to make sure that we have a really simple onboarding and step-by-step four-phase approach um, to um, our process. And of course, the early on work is just simply take an assessment, find out where you are, get in the coaching process and get on a growth trajectory that is related specifically to the challenges of revitalization. And all of our certified coaches have a reading list, uh, both for them to read themselves, as well as to recommend to uh, pastors and to help them through that reading and discussion and reflection and uh, taking growth point action plans uh, to get them on a a trajectory to say, hey, my toolkit's full. I'm ready to lead in a revitalization process because whether you're leading in a revitalization plot process or not, whether you recognize it as such, let's be honest, 90% of our pastors are leading in a, in a revitalization situation. So these things are being thrust upon them. What we would simply say is, hey, go to uh, corpusvita.org and uh, purchase one of the assessments. Uh, you can do it as an individual assessment or as a 360. We recommend the 360. Tell the people assessing you, hey, I want you to be brutally honest with me. That's what's going to help me most. They'll never see the scores. They'll never know the benchmarks. They're just taking this, the assessment to help the pastor who's requested it. And then the pastor who requests it, um, they can sit down with a coach and go over those scores and not be disheartened, but say, okay, this is my starting point. Let's Let's grow from here. And let's be ready to prepare for that journey. And and here's the thing. There's nothing, Mike, in that uh, necessary and needed toolkit for leading a church revitalization that you can't learn. If you love God and love people, you, you've got what it takes. You just need to have the right tools in your toolkit. But you, you can't bring a painter's toolkit to a carpenter's job. And, and, and what we've got is the carpenter's job of rebuilding the local church in this next generation. And um, if you'll just let some of the Michigan Baptist staff put those toolkits together with you and for you through some coaching relationships, there's going to be a great impact. And, and you're going to have a joy. You'll, you'll be calling names like, like Bob and David and yeah, Gene and people like that, that I look back now and, and I just go, they are saints of God for putting up with my foolishness, being patient with me and my youthful naivete. And they gave to me more than I ever knew to appreciate or value when they were giving it to me. But they put tools in my toolkit for a lifetime. And all I want to do today is help any fruit that we have had in ministry grow on countless hundreds and thousands of pastors' trees because I struggled through it very much as a slow learner across 30 years. If you give us three to 12 months with a coach, we can help you learn life's most important revitalization ministry lessons, and you can be equipped for the journey ahead. Wow. That's fantastic. I, I got to be honest. I have really had to bite my tongue from jumping in because Jump there's so in, much man. good stuff. No, there's so <laughs> many good things that, that you shared that are so helpful. And that's why one of the things I'm really excited about is you're going to be with us in Michigan uh, in March, March 27th and 28th. Uh, We're still working the details of that out, but I I want to let Michigan Baptist pastors and and lay leaders even know about those dates. And if you have the opportunity to take advantage of uh, the time that we're going to be spending with Pastor Rob, uh, just contact me. Reach out to mike at bscm.org. 
And uh, we're again, we're working out the details. More will be available soon. But uh, we would love to have you interact with uh, Pastor Rob as we look at how we could come alongside uh, Michigan Baptist churches to help them take their next step. And for many of our churches, that next step is going to be in the area of revitalization. And uh, there are a wealth, a plethora of tools available that, that Pastor Rob talked about during our podcast today. Well, brother, thank you for being with us. Is there one more thing you'd like to, to share before we sign off? Yeah, I, I would just say a world where pastors are moving fast and in multiple directions. Um, boy, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and let him encourage you because uh, that's the, the, the jet fuel you need in your tank today as you're doing ministry. So uh, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Any mistake I made is usually because I took my eyes off him. And if you'll just keep your eyes on the Lord and uh, as you're moving forward and hear behind you the voice of the Lord that says, this is the way of the, the, the Lord walk in it. Uh, boy, I, I think there can be an exciting journey ahead. Uh, not saying it's not one without challenges, but boy, in the challenges you'll grow and in the triumphs you'll rejoice. So just be encouraged, brothers, in the work God's called you to do. Thank you so much, Pastor Rob. We look forward to being with you in March, and thank you for what you're doing to advance God's kingdom. This has been Punching Holes in the Darkness, a podcast from the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. If you have liked this episode, please rate us and leave a review. That will help others to find us and enjoy these conversations too. And if you subscribe, you will be notified when new episodes are available. Join us next time as we help Michigan churches punch holes in the darkness.